This is Carl from Movie Podcast Weekly, and you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. <laughs> Except Carl doesn't even watch horror movies. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I wrong about no, that? No, 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 but, but you just right. blew it. So. Hello? Hello? Who is this? Yes. No, really, who is this? Were you expecting somebody? No. Hang the phone up and start 69 his ass. Damn. Who is this? Who would you like it to be? I don't like games. Who is this? You could say what happened in that theater is a direct result of the movie itself. That is so moral majority. You can't blame real life violence on entertainment. What? what? Wait a second. Yes, you can. Don't, don't you even watch the news? Yeah. Hello. The murderer was wearing a ghost mask, okay? Just like in the movie, it's directly responsible. No, it's not. Movies are not responsible for our actions. It's a classic case of life imitating art, imitating this life. This is not a hypothetical. It's not about art. I had biology with that girl. This is reality. Thank you. I agree with you. Let me tell you about reality, Mickey. I live through this, okay? Life is life. It doesn't imitate anything. Come on, Randy. With all due respect, the killer obviously patterned himself after two serial killers who have been immortalized on film. Thank you. Right. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Stab 2? Who'd want to do that? Sequels suck. No, wow. Come on, man. Oh, please, please. By definition alone, they're inferior films. It's a generalization. Many sequels have surpassed their original. Oh, yeah? Name one. Yeah. Aliens, far better than the first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, there's no accounting for taste. Thank you, Ridley Scott rules. Name another. No. <laughs> Aliens is a classic, okay? It's film class, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, gotcha. whatever, you know what I mean. Another. T2. Big one. <laughs> but wait a second, the first Terminator is historical. Yeah. Sarah Connor. Yes. <laughs> wait, come on. All right, all right, all right, okay. House 2, the second story. Oh, what? The entire horror genre was destroyed by sequels. I got it, by the way. I got it. The Godfather, part two. All right, that's enough. That'll be a wrap. The sequel discussion to be continued. This episode contains major plot spoilers for Scream 2, Scream 3, and potentially the entire Scream franchise. Hi, and welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a weekly show that's released every Friday, and this is the second part of our Scream franchise review. Tonight, we'll be reviewing Scream 2 and Scream 3. This is episode 66. Now, on Horror Movie Podcast, we generally bring you in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-hosts tonight are... Dave, Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh from just inside Bogota, Colombia. Oh, welcome back, my friends. Okay. And Dr. Walking Dead is going to be joining us once again. 
So we'll see him a little bit later on. And we also have some special guests tonight, which we'll be getting to here momentarily. But before we do that, did you guys see just a quick news item? Horror in the news just fascinates me. I saw today as we're recording this that there was a young lady. She was 25 years old. Um, They had her funeral service. She had died and her body vanished from the casket after the funeral. Yeah, this took place in Texas. Like I said, she was 25. She died from cystic fibrosis. And then, you know, after the ceremony, her body was snatched by somebody. And I just, I think that's absolutely horrifying. Yeah, that is creepy. Because when you think about it, I mean, there aren't that many reasons why people would take a dead body. You had to go there, Jay. I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm not even making light or making jokes. I'm just saying, like, I understand it. Some of the right. uh, occult rituals or other unusual behaviors. So, I mean, I just think that's true horror that, you know, they already were grieving over. I mean, are you are you thinking, I mean, you can't rule out if with all of the loved ones gathered, it, it could have been, you know, you, you don't know. Could It could have been a loved one. Wow. Who, who I never can't let go, you know? I mean, it, they all would have been assembled there, obviously. Yeah. Then there's the chance that she just got up and walked away. Or that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would be really weird too. Well, there there is that culture that I learned about in my um anthropology class that they actually when someone dies in their family, they will store them up in the ceiling of their house for a year. Their body will be their corpse will be up there for a year and then after the year they take them out and bury them or burn them or whatever they do. Makes why sense. Would, uh, yeah. <laughs> why, why would why would they do that? It had something to do with their belief that um the transition between here and the next life, and they wanted them to still be nearby and with their family or something like that. I don't know, but I just remember thinking that would creep me out so bad to have a dead body right above me in the ceiling. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I, I could just sleep at night. <laughs> exactly. I, I wouldn't be. Able to. I know. I know. It's just a little unsettling, even if it's somebody you loved, you know? So right. anyways, I, I just think that this is an example of real life horror where horror happens to those who deserve at least. Obviously, this family's burying a very young person and yeah, or sad. wanting to, and then that right. happened. Okay. And one last thing before we jump into the episode, I just want people to know that we we recognize and acknowledge and regret the loss of Wes Craven. We are going to be talking about him and giving a nice little horror movie podcast tribute to Wes Craven, but we've decided to wait until we have our whole staff on hand, and we're going to be doing that in the franchise overview, the Scream franchise overview, which will be about two episodes from now. That's going to come out as a bonus episode, and we're going to surprise you on the release date of that. So tonight we're covering Scream 2 and Scream 3. Next week is going to be Scream 4 and the TV series, and then you're going to get the franchise overview, and that's when we're going to talk about Wes Craven. And uh, Josh, I believe you have something to tell listeners too before we get rolling. Yeah, just the uh, giveaways for this episode, which again, we'll be drawing the winners during our fr- aforementioned franchise overview. Uh, this week, we're, I was trying to think of what we could do for the contest. I thought, first of all, we need more iTunes reviews. I know many of you have already given us some very kind reviews, um, but if you haven't, your first job is to go to iTunes and leave, oh, I'm looking for five-star Amazon reviews, right? I mean, right. Yeah. yes. I mean, yeah. yeah. 
We sure. work hard on this. Leave us leave us some nice reviews. Anyone who leaves us a positive review will be entered in the contest. That's part one. If you've already done that, you still have one thing to accomplish. Go to horrormoviepodcast.com and the show notes for this episode, episode 66. Leave us your top five 90s horror movies. So we want to hear what your top five horror movies are that were released in the 1990s. Bring it. And then also the iTunes review if you haven't already done it. So that's it. And then the prize, which we'll be revealing or drawing for on the franchise overview, is going to be a stab t-shirt from the movie within a movie of these films. We'll be giving away one t-shirt from the movie Stab. So the meta movie Stab. And then what we would appreciate on that, and this is not requisite, this is just for fun, we would love to see you holding a picture of yourself wearing the Stab t-shirt. So it would be a picture (laughs) within a picture. And by the way, P.S. on that, if you have trouble coming up with five good movies from the 90s, we have no idea what to tell you. (laughs) Right. We understand. Right. So anyway, now that everybody's all uplifted and excited, <laughs> let's let's move into our episode. As promised on Horror Movie Podcast episode 66, we have some really great guests that I'm super excited about here to help us review Scream 2. And we want to welcome in two of the hosts of the Sci-Fi Podcast, Matroid and Station. Howdy. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> no, no, you guys, you're you're so kind to give me a a sci-fi eyes nickname, and we don't really uh, do we do that over here, Wolfman Josh? Do you horrorize it? We didn't give Matt one on any of his previous encounters, but he was always talking about science fiction related horror movies. So now, what do we do? Well, it's not that I don't like horror movies; I like them quite a bit. I'm a little hurt, and I feel a little slighted. Hmm. Unless someone's really good at thinking on their feet, I think we're just. (laughs) (laughs) Well, people used to call me Lizzie Borden. Oh yeah, Uh, that works perfect. How about Lizzie Borden took a mat? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, How about bloody nuts? Oh no, I didn't even mean it like that. I just thought I was crazy. Oh, you guys, you guys are perverted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You guys are sick. Oh my goodness. That's funny. Yeah, I, I, I crouched over a little bit here with, uh, with that one. Yeah, <laughs> it is a little unnerving. Okay. Honestly, I, I don't need one, but uh, anything you think of is great. Otherwise, I can go by Matt or Matroid. That still works for me. Yeah, we'll probably call you Matt and Liz most of the time, but Lizzie Borden's <laughs> great. And, yeah. and I promise, Matt, that by the time your next visit comes around, I'm going to think of something and pitch it to you. Yeah, that's cool. His name. All right. Mm, that's Turn me off guard here, Jay. We should call him. We should call him um, Madman Matt. That's pretty good. As that in, works for me. As in Madman Mars, and uh, as a temporary that, name yeah. until until Josh comes up with the or Mad Matts. Mad Matt. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I guess that's sci-fi. That's still with the sci-fi, not the horror. And we covered that while you were away. Just oh, really? the, just the dudes. Uh-huh. That's true. <laughs> while you were sleeping. By the way, well, I, I love the name Station, so that's fine on any yeah, on any yeah, podcast. Absolutely. Really. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. So. Yes, I agree. Station. All right. Well, let's move into our feature review of Scream Two. Okay. Let's get down to business. The way I see it, someone's out to make a sequel. You know, cash in on all the movie murder hoopla. 
So it's our job to observe the rules of the sequel. Number one, the body count is always bigger. Number two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate. More blood, more gore. Carnage, candy. Your core audience just expects it. And number three, if you want your sequel to become a franchise, never, ever... How do we find the killer, Randy? That's what I want to know. Oh, let's look at the suspects. There's Derek, the obvious boyfriend. Hello, Billy Loomis. The guy's pre-madness, pity, me, surface wound, conveniently missed every major vein and artery. So you think it's Derek? Not so fast. Let's assume the killer, or Urs, has a half a brain. He's not a Nick at Night rerun type of guy. He wants to break some new ground. Right? Right. So forget the boyfriend. He's tired. Who else do we got? There's... Mickey, the freaky Tarantino film student. But if he's a suspect, so am I. So let's move on. Well, let's not move on. Maybe you are a suspect. Well, if I'm a suspect, you're a suspect. Do you have a point? Okay, let's move on. Okay, well, Scream 2 begins with the premiere of a movie called Stab. So this is based on the events of Billy and Stu and Sydney and all those guys. They've made a fictionalized film that is remarkably like the movie we've all seen called Scream. And at the beginning of the film, we're treated to the premiere event of Stab. And so we go there with uh, a young couple. And it's a young African-American couple, and they remark how the black folk get knocked off usually at the beginning of, of horror films. <laughs> they don't make it too far. And, and unfortunately, that's what we're going to see repeated here as well. Uh, but they go to this movie. It's a little crazy. Everyone's dressed up in ghost-faced killer costumes, and they're wielding knives in a movie theater, something that would be totally uh, – undoable in today's environment yeah but it's a lot crazy actually right i mean <laughs> yeah. the most cl- the closest rambunctious level to that that i've ever seen was in paranormal activity at a midnight screening <laughs> people were were about half that wound up and it was really fun but i've never seen anything like this well they're trying to do kind of a rocky horror picture show kind of a vibe i right. think but mm-hmm. um this is next level because you've got these killer on the screen and you've got a bunch of people dressed up like that killer in the audience and they're all holding knives and waving them happily uh, around. And so it's it's pretty crazy. And, you know, we're uh, we are as an audience conditioned to like a Pavlo- have this Pavlonian response to the ghost face killer and a knife. And so suddenly there are hundreds of them and we have to kind of deal <laughs> with that uh, feeling. And it's intense. Like there's a scene where uh, the actor, I believe it's Omar Epps, is it? That's yes. Yeah, he's playing Phil, and he walks into the restroom, and two ghost face killers are at the urinals, and they kind of turn around and eye him, and that's a scary moment. Yes, because we're <laughs> used to seeing ghost face in a bathroom stall, and of course that doesn't end too well. He gets staked in the ear, and uh, <laughs> and the killer returns in his jacket back to his seat and sits next to his date, played by Jada Pinkett Smith. Um, and kills her right there in the movie theater in front of the audience, and everyone screams and cheers and waves their knives in the air, and we are in a crazy land. And I like it, but this is going to be a reoccurring theme of mine as we go through this review and this series, but it's a bit much. Like I, I, I enjoy it, but it feels a bit scary movie to me at times. And this is dark and eerie, and Jada Pinkin especially sells her death in a very um, 
disturbing way. Well, it is over the top, <laughs> but but there are just so many scary movie type moments that are also just goofy in in parts two and three and four that that bother me. And this is kind of one of those first moments. This stab theater. I also just hate that it's called stab. I don't know. Is that weird? It just is lame <laughs> wow. to me. I, I'm so surprised. I'll, I'll come back to how I feel about this because this is actually one of my favorite openings and especially as far as horror comedies go. I love this opening sequence, but first I want to hear from Station. What do you think of this opening here in Scream 2? Well, um, I, I enjoyed it. Jada Pinkett's performance to me was super over the top and I agree with Josh. It, it was, I think, did you say her death was disturbing? She sold it in a very disturbing way. Yeah, she's she's totally over the top when she's yelling at the screen. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But her actual death is creepy. Yes. Yeah, I agree. So it's like the whole thing is over the top. I she it really hurt she kind of takes me out of the whole thing. And then there's that moment where she's up there on the stage and being very dramatic and it takes a turn from kind of being like, Okay, come on to ugh yeah. which was pretty effective for me. But um I mean I enjoyed it. I remember you know, I was younger when this movie came out. And so I was in my teens still, I think. And, uh, um, I just remember being so overwhelmingly excited that we were getting a sequel because scream was like a religion for me. Yes. I mean, uh-huh. it was my all time favorite <laughs> movie period ever. Uh-oh, it made such language. right. Yes. I mean, I'm not even kidding. My friends did. They created this scream jeopardy game for me where they went through, they combed through the original movie and took out the most just bizarre details. Like what, what's the sticker on the side of Dewey's computer at the police station? How many <laughs> windows are in Casey's <laughs> front door? And I, my hand to God, got every single question right. So yeah. this is how seriously I take this franchise. So just the fact that we got a sequel, there's a lot about it that wow. it's, it, could, it cannot be wrong in any way. <laughs> nice what what about you matt do you feel the same way as your sweetheart there uh no honestly you know with the problem i have with it is that i feel like and to be fair when i first saw it it was very exciting it was new it was very different this kind of meta world that they're getting into which you know scream as a franchise kind of reinvented the self-aware uh uh, you know, postmodern feel where it's like, hey, you know what's really cool? We know we're in a movie kind of thing, like a little nod to the audience. Yeah. So I loved that. But what I did not like was Jada Pinkett Smith getting up there, standing up in front of everyone, and then doing my doing this <laughs> scream. You know? Yeah, I was just going to say it's like braying. Is that the word? Yeah, braying. Braying. Baying? Baying. Yeah. I just don't understand the motivation behind that. It's a really weird character motivation. Almost like Jada Pinkett Smith had this idea. I guess she was just Sans Smith at the time, but like she had this idea. This is what I'm going to do. And Wes Craven's like, All right, go for it. And then afterwards he's like, Yeah, that works. You I know what he said, Imagine you're an animal, like a jaguar. She's like, What about if I'm a goat giving birth? And he's like, Perfect, go with that. Yes. She's like, what about if I go with something where it accentuates my extremely long neck? Guys. The giraffe thing. No, no, guys. She's dying. She's been impaled. She is suffering. It's real. I agree. Which means she should fall on the ground and die. (laughs) It's ugly, but that's great. I think that's what's great about it is it's so ugly and just it's painful. It's kind of a Melrose Place death. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and hey, Jason, you mind if I say something real quick? Say it. Rumor is that Robert Rodriguez was the director of the Stab movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I, so, don't, I don't know if that's totally true. I know that in Scream 2, you know, they they tried to write uh, directed by Robert Rodriguez when they show that little clip on TV when Randy and Dewey are watching it in the right. restaurant. And I guess Robert Rodriguez made them take that off for legal reasons. I don't know what the legal yeah. reasons were. So yeah. maybe he directed or maybe he just didn't want to be associated with it. But because, you know, he passed on directing the first film. Right. He eventually does direct Williamson in um, in the faculty. So I don't know. He does obviously doesn't hate Williamson, but I don't know. I don't know why he maybe he just didn't want to be associated with such poor acting. Well, uh, that, see, I heard about it. He didn't want to be associated with Tori Spelling. Yeah. Who can blame him? Who doesn't want to be associated with Tori Spelling? So I heard about it online. So, well, speaking so, of online, dot, dot, dot. speaking of <laughs> online, and I don't want to cut you guys off at all, but um, this film came out right in the height of the internet explosion when everyone was getting online for the first time, and the, you know there were all these online message boards that were trying to break news that were doing spoilers, and the Scream Two script. Apparently, right after it was written, was online. Everyone saw it, everyone read it, and the studio demanded a complete rewrite. And so um, they had to rewrite the movie, and it had a totally different ending, had some totally different characters in it. Um, a lot of things played out differently, which we I'll, I'll mention as we go along here. But when they actually started production, they only had the first 30 pages of the script written when they started filming. And they were kind of writing it as they went. And, and because of that, Wes Craven actually wrote a couple of scenes in this film. Um, and a lot of the actors had major inf- influence, especially uh, Leif Shriver came up with most of the stuff that his character does in the film. So I thought that was pretty interesting as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember um, reading about that. I think a lot of the time the actors were getting their scripts the day of, right? Like right before they were shooting because they were just trying to. Yeah. Now, was that a function of they just now got the pages written hot off the press? Or do you think they were trying to protect it from being leaked on the Internet again? I think it was both. I think it was 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 in high effect, but also they were, I mean, you know, Craven talked about on the commentary writing uh, the scene with the professor before the play and how he just wrote that on the spot. And then Williamson did a pass on it and kind of polished it. But, oh. you know, things, scenes like that were happening. And so where I gave Williamson most of the credit for the first film, I give Craven a lot more of the credit for Scream 2 because there are some interesting scenes like the cop car scene We'll get to mm. later. Ooh, Craven basically, yeah. Craven just basically invented that on the spot <laughs> um, and, and kept teasing out those moments, and that's some of the best tension in the movie. Absolutely, in my opinion. But yeah, nice. so this movie finds Sydney at college, and the movie Stab has just premiered, and she's getting crank calls. And it's funny because this film is responding to a lot of apparently what the criticism online was of Scream. Uh, you know, uh, Jada Pinkett yells out star 69 and bitch or something, you know, from the audience. And, um, <laughs> and that happens very early on in, in scream two as well. When, uh, Sydney answers the phone and the guy says, you know, she says, who is this? And he says, you tell me. And so she, he, she just picks up her caller ID and she's like, Oh, it's this guy. And, 
<laughs> it's a funny wink at the audience and saying, look, we know we're in the 21st century now, or we're, we're approaching the 21st century and, right. and this technology exists and we're going to be conscious of that too. You know, we're adding that to our list of postmodern things to check off our list uh, that we're going to reference. And I thought that was clever and I, and I thought it was pretty well done, but it, it just borderlines on like, I don't want this to turn into an airplane movie. So like I, those types of things I always like, and then I immediately kind of wince at as well. Hmm. Yeah. It's like a fine line, and yeah. it sounds like this movie kind of crosses that a little bit too far over the line for you, Josh. It, it's always walking it, and it's stepping on one side or the other pretty much constantly. Mm-hmm. Well, Josh, when you say an airplane movie, do you mean like we, we're landing in Sydney, Sydney? Roger. We have Vector, Victor. <laughs> <laughs> right. You got it. Right. Or do you mean a terrible film that you watch during a flight? No. No. I'm just kidding. Um, Dave, what do you say about Scream 2, buddy? Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I mean, I I don't think it was uh, obviously not as good as the first one, but I I don't know that you could ever recapture that magic. But uh, I did did like it, and I thought that, you know, once again we get the rules – um, that, that Randy gives us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think in that first scene, they fulfilled the first one, you know, the higher body count. Um, whereas the, the opening scene in, in scream is one of the greatest opening scenes, I think in, in, in any horror movie. Yes. Uh, in oh, yeah. this one, they do up the ante by giving you not just one death, but two. Uh, and if you include what's going on on the movie screen three, <laughs> right. so it starts <laughs> off with more killings right, right off the bat. Um, and it's, you know, more elaborate death scenes is another one of the rules. Um, but, uh, the, the scene that Josh mentioned, and I don't, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to leap ahead here too much, no, but let's do it in, in the car, you know, that falls into the, the third rule of never, ever under any circumstances, assume the killer is dead <laughs> and they have to crawl over and you're just waiting. You're like, what's going to happen? When is this? Uh, you know, it's such a tense sequence. I mean, it's my favorite scene in the whole movie, to be mm-hmm. honest with you, just yeah. because of, of how it get how intense it becomes. Um, and, it, and, and it really defies your expectations because that does not play out like you think it's going no, to. No way. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. So and, as I, written, and I like that. As written, they were just supposed to kick the window out of the car and climb out. And so Craven on the set said, well, we've got this bar smashed that's smashed through the window. Let's make them crawl up this direction instead. And then let's make her have to crawl across the killer. And then let's make her friend have to crawl across the killer. And then let's make them go back and check the mask. And it just, the tension just builds and builds and builds and builds. <laughs> and, and that was all just kind of made up on the set, which is awesome. Uh-huh. Hey, beautiful. It's Perfect. Yep. Yeah, station. Did you? It sounded like you had more to say on that one, Liz. What? Oh, I just that I wholeheartedly agree. It's just such a, you know, edge of your seat gripping scene, and um, and uh, you know, like you were saying, it doesn't play out the way you think. You know, you keep expecting him to wake up or come to and grab an ankle or or something like that, and he just doesn't, and. It's just one of those that has such an impact. One of those scenes that's just, for me, it's just perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I love it for another reason. It's like, it also is suspenseful because you you kind of, when she's right up front with the killer, you want her to rip off the mask right then. 
Yeah. And then maybe stab right. him in the throat with a screwdriver or something. I mean, <laughs> you you want her to really take action. And I, I think it's a great scene. I totally agree. It's a little bit problematic for me as far as character motivation, because I think that Sydney at this point, she has shown that she is a fighter. And I think that she may have tried to just end the mystery right then. And I understand why it's written the way it is and well, so she, forth. But. She eventually, I mean, she comes to that conclusion within three minutes. So give her a little bit of slack. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess so. But Yeah, come on, Jason. Okay. <laughs> now, 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 one thing that, that always did sort of irk me about the movie was the, the, that the elimination of a character. Um, and, and that was, uh, y- you know, I guess Randy. Um, because he was such, he was really kind, he was really important to the series, I thought. And they even had to find a way to get him back into the third one, you know, like, like they couldn't just let him go. Yeah. Randy's death is, I think a really good scene. I think it's one of the better scenes in the franchise. I think, you know, Jason loves horror in the daylight. I think it's one of the great horror in the daylight scenes I've ever seen, but I hate it because Randy dies. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, you know, there's that college classroom scene at the beginning where they come around across the lame conclusion that, oh yeah, the Godfather Part Two. Like there are some sequels that are better than the original. That's that's actually, I love that scene. You don't like that? I hate that scene. I only love it because it's cool that they're talking about movies. It's just so yeah. on the nose to me, but I don't know. It's obvious. Like, yeah, obviously, I got it, guys. I got it. By the way. What? What? <laughs> the Godfather Part Two. Oh, <laughs> I hate the way he says Whoa. that. I never thought of that. But anyway, at the end of that, they say, "Well, how would you have it end, smart guy?" And Randy says, "I'd let the geek, geek get the get girl. the girl." <laughs> like, yeah, like, let this happened. And 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 as soon as Derek shows up, I'm like, "No, that cannot be Sydney's boyfriend. Why is this guy in these pants her boyfriend?" Like this, this is because of the pants, Josh. Because of the what's pants. wrong with pleats? I don't like the pleats. They make his hips look bulgy. So, elephant in the room. Worst scene in the whole movie is when he gets up and sings. Right? Like everyone's got to hate that as bad as me. <laughs> to, to quote yeah. the mighty Jerry Seinfeld, I can't watch a man sing a song. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I back you. Yes. I can't say I, I can't say I hated it, but it certainly could. They could it, it could have been dropped and wouldn't have changed the movie. To be honest there was with like you, me, easy yeah. romantic in me, and the age it came out, where I was like, I would do this for a lady at some point. No, but you now, wouldn't. But now watching it as yeah. an adult, I'm so embarrassed for this guy. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's doing this. That's, that's a good point. I but would, that character, I, Derek, is so not right for A, the Sydney of Scream, B, the Sydney of Scream 2. Like, and nothing about this like makes sense in her taste in guys, unless she's just trying to get as far away from Billy as she can get. Um, I think that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. I think it's like, you know, normal, popular, social. Sliders. <laughs> Hello, for, for, for me, I can never get away from Vern from Stand By Me. Whenever I see Jerry O'Connor, that's exactly what I think of is, is Vern from Stand By Me. Um, I think in Joe's is, apartment yeah. talking to some cockroaches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. But he's giving her his like letters and all this goofy stuff. Like, come on, this isn't – Sydney would not fall for this, you guys. I want her to love Randy. And then when Randy dies, I just – this can't be right. 
Like, right. this is yeah. happening. Yeah. He's got to come back like Dewey. He's got to come back like he did the first film. And then it just cuts to his bloody face. And I'm like, no, please yeah. don't <laughs> let this happen. I think See, I thought, right. I thought Killing Randy was awesome and necessary. I, I mean, it was sad. And it would have been great if it didn't have to happen. But I feel like it had to happen. <sighs> to up the ante... To, because you know, with that, with the first movie, you got so many great twists, turns. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they killed that person, or you know, unexpected stuff. And yeah, what are they going to do in Scream Two? It, it was necessary. I it's think. a well, good point. That's one thing we love about this franchise is how it defies expectations. Yeah, yeah. and the original script, Randy does die in the original script. Dewey dies in the original script, and. Um, Sydney dies in the original Scream 2 script. Her and Cotton Weary, who was the villain in the original Scream 2 script, stab each other to death until they both die with knives in hand. I'm Almost so kind of reminiscent of what we're going to be talking yeah. about coming up in Scream 3. Um, but hmm. they kind of have this moment of connection and death at the end of the original Scream 2 script. Yeah. Oh. Well, so before we wrap up real quick, um, number one, I think it's interesting to watch this film or to rewatch it right now at this period in time when we have all of this violence in movie theaters and all these theaters getting shot up and stuff. And there's actually a, a direct quote about this in this film that I pulled for this review that you can hear right here. 300 people watched Nobody Did Anything. They thought it was a publicity stunt. It would have been a good one, too. It's starting again, Randy. It's not. A lot of shit happens at the movies. People get robbed, shot, maimed, murdered. Yeah. Multiplex is just a very dangerous place to be these days. Yeah, and you are an extreme... Denial. Yes, multiplexes are a very dangerous place to be these days. And I think that's interesting that that's... I mean, this is filmed from 1997, and it's yeah, I, the real deal now. Um, yeah. So as we start wrapping this up, one of the things that I think is very effective about this film, and I think this is on purpose. I mean, once we once we learn about the motivation behind the killers in this, I think there are some definite Friday the 13th parallels from the very first one. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. I, I'm always behind, uh, you know, Mrs. Voorhees motivation for killing. Somebody uh -huh. takes out your kid. You want to take them out. That makes perfect sense to me. And now the, <laughs> the other aspect of that companionship, you know, not so much, but you need somebody, you know, who can carry out the, the I got to say, though, I, I, Timothy Oliphant, I'm a, I am a fan of his, and I did like him in this movie. Mm -hmm. I, I, did, I, I, I hate Oli Fantastic. I don't <laughs> think he's... Really? I, I, he has a great moment at the end of this movie. I like the I like that he tries to implicate Derek in the crime. I think that's great. I love that he, you know, that um, Gail gets shot. But the idea of him then shooting Derek right after he implicates him kind of spoils the tension there. I, I just hate this ending. Um, I don't like the whole Laurie Metcalf as Debbie Salt slash Mrs. Loomis. I think that scene sucks. I think her performance is super weird. I like Roseanne and all. But her performance here is awful. That, and I, I can't see her without thinking of Roseanne. That's the other yeah. thing. I, then with, with Jerry O'Connell, let's stand by me. And with her, I can never see her without thinking of Roseanne. So yeah. I'm agree, I agree with you as far as the ending uh, goes. It wasn't my 
wasn't my favorite scene in the movie either. Hmm. Um, but no, I actually did like Timothy Oliphant in it. I, I, I just I, think I, it's I, so bad. I think it's bad anyway, but I think it's particularly bad when you contrast it with the kitchen scene in Scream, because I oh, think yeah. it's one of the best yeah. ending scenes ever. And it's kind of like the opening of this film, too. It, it's okay, but when you compare it to the opening of Scream, it's bad. And that's kind of how mm-hmm. I feel about the ending as well. Oliphant's his performance at the end is like Stu from Scream times a thousand. It's it's not I don't buy it. And it's so like to me it's almost like we get it. You have perfect cheekbones, nice teeth. I mean, I went to high school with twenty of him and he's, he's Billy too. Yeah. He wants yeah. Billy too. But but the part of it for me is that he's got this like psychotic, isn't it awesome? I'll blame it on the movies and I'll make yeah. a movie and film and I'm a filmmaker. It's it's just it reaches this level of like you know what we got it a while ago. <laughs> You're now insulting us. I just I think that's the part of the movie where I end up saying you know I know how it ends. Let's just turn it off. <laughs> short of short of using the name Loomis, which is like a cool nod. I don't really care for Metcalf's character. I don't care for Oliphant at all. I think as far as villains go, count me out. That's not interesting. I it could have been Ghostface in Ghostface. Having no idea who it is, dying, they pull off the mask, credits. That's cool. I think this is the weakest killer reveal in any of the Scream films. In my I opinion. agree. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, I agree that Laurie Metcalf had a really weird performance. It always reminds me of Sean Young in Ace Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> like at the end. Totally. totally. Yeah, I see that. But too. Sean Young's better in Ace Ventura. True. And it's appropriate. It's more appropriate in Ace Ventura yeah, than it is the- here. Yeah, with those wild eyes, yeah. Yeah, the wild eyes and the spitting. <laughs> All right, well, let's move into our ratings then, and let's start with you, Station. What do you rate Scream 2? Oh, man. Well, yeah, I agree. It's not a perfect movie, but it is a darn near perfect sequel. Hmm. Um, That's an interesting point. Yeah. I mean, you know, setting aside the whole second thing is better, you know, assuming that that doesn't happen. It's about as good as it gets as far as sequels go for me. So I'm going to give it an 8.5. Okay. Is that a buy or rent? Oh, buy. Totally. Okay. That's a very high rating for station. For those I know. Who don't yeah. listen to the sci-fi podcast. It's like <laughs> astronomical for her. She's like 2001. I give it a solid five and a half. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's being generous. Yes. Um, I'm telling you, screams a religion to me. Nice. Nice. Okay. What do you say, Matt? Well, I visit Scream and I attend Scream with Liz, but I was never baptized into Scream. Um, I think the I think the first Scream is a ten. Like, let's just throw that out there. It's a solid ten, uh, and and it starts to rapidly decline for me. I love the movies. The TV show sucks, but it's for another time. I love the movies. We own the Blu-ray set. Um, I, they are a lot of fun to revisit. They're fun to watch with people, which I think is its own thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's. This is a watch with your friends kind of movie. So I would give Scream 2 a 6.5. I'd say if you like Scream at all, you have to own it. But it's definitely a, a watch every couple of years movie in the minimum. Okay. So um, so this is this is a buy then? Oh, yeah. I okay. call it a buy. Okay. Just making sure. All right. Gotcha. Dave, what do you say? Um, I, I think it was a it was a, a, a – a, a good follow-up, not a very good follow-up to the first movie. Um, I liked how, again, the rules were laid out, just so we'd know exactly what to expect as the as the film played out. Uh, and that scene alone in the 
you know, in the car uh, is is one of my favorite scenes in the entire series. Uh, so I'm going to say eight, and I, it's it's a buy. I, I don't know that that when when it comes to a series like this that uh, that you don't want to own all of them, you know, sort of sort of regardless. And 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 you know, we'll get into that a little bit more of that later. But yeah, it's it's an eight for me, and it's a buy. You keep saying that, and it makes me uneasy about my my ratings because I, I see what you're saying about owning a franchise. So I know what Dave means when he says that. Everybody, I know where he's coming from. I'm I'm just I'm trying to look at it as an individual film, and I know that's difficult. I to mean, do. I even have I'm, I I mean I even have Halloween six. Yes, just you do. Just because I'm a completist. You so, are. I mean, how yeah. can I have Halloween 5 and then go to H2O? Right. And not have Halloween 6. And you know, they're coming out with a director's cut of Halloween 6 on Blu-ray. Nice. Okay. And I I'm wish we could spend the rest of the night talking about your Halloween episodes, by the way. I've listened to each of those podcasts <laughs> at least twice. Aw, you're oh, too kind. That's most, a lot of hours. Mostly, <laughs> mostly for Dave's comments on how badly he hates the sixth movie. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> those, are, those are awesome, by the way. Well, thank you. All right. Um, for me, this is a 7.5 out of 10. I actually really like this. As far as sequels go and as far as horror comedies go, I say buy it. What do you say, uh, Joshua? Uh, I could talk about this movie for another hour. I know we're out of time here, but um, I, I like seeing Portia de Rossi in her pre-Ellen, pre-Arrested Development phase before she was old and haggard. Uh, like seeing <laughs> Rebecca Gayhart pre-Urban Legends scream ripoff movie. Um, I love Deputy Dewey in this film. He's oddly comical because of how he's handicapped by the events of Scream 1. But he is so insanely vulnerable. Um, he's so injured in this film, both physically and emotionally. I love David Arquette's performance in this movie. It may be his best career performance, actually. Um, I want to talk about the Scream scores, but I'll save that for the franchise overview. I have so many notes here, Jay. I have notes here on the color combinations of the wardrobe. So the listeners can be glad that we don't have to talk about that today. Josh, I think you and I might be the same person. I'm not even kidding you. I have the same notes that you do. I'm not even kidding. Aww. Um, there, there's a lot to talk about here, but I, you know, there are, I think four really great scenes in this movie. We've talked about, I think all but one of them, but I think the car scene is incredible. Randy's death is incredible. I really like the first Cassandra scene. I like the scene where the professor talks to her about the symbolism where Wes Craven through that professor is talking to horror film critics, critics of horror films. Um, or those who are critical of horror films. Yes. Um, and talking about the importance of them. I like the way that that scene plays out with the chorus. I think it's creepy and weird and surreal and does not feel like part of the Scream franchise, but works and feels a bit like Nancy and A Nightmare on Elm Street. Wes Craven says in the commentary that like Nancy, he sees Sydney as the prophet without honor in her own country. She's the person who sees the future and is thought of as insane. And I love that about this character. And I like the way that plays out in this movie. And my favorite scene of the movie, which we have not talked about is the scene where Dewey is stabbed in the back and oh. he does not die like he did in the original script, but I love the way the sound booth is utilized for scares in that, and the way Gail is on the other side of that wa soundproof wall, and her scream is inaudible, and she has to just stand there and watch Dewey die. And that, like, 
almost brought a tear to my eye, I have to say. Like, that was a really, really powerful scene. Having said that, there's a lot of crappy stuff in this movie. <laughs> and I give it a seven, and I, and I say it's a buy it, but only if you're a fan of the series. Okay, I gotcha. All right, well, thank you guys for your ratings there on Scream 2. And um, at this point, our friends here from the Sci-Fi Podcast, they're going to be taken off before we move into Scream 3. But before they do, please make sure you guys tell the listeners where they can find one of my all-time favorite podcasts, period. The Sci-Fi Podcast.com. Check us out. Yeah. So what you can find right now, if you go to our website or if you go to uh, iTunes, we have a two-parter, which is one part and two part. And these are uh, covering the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe up to this point. It's six hours, roughly, maybe even a little more. Lots and lots to go over. <laughs> a special guest, Willis Wheeler, who I know you all love. You got to make sure and go there because it's a lot of fun. And, <clears throat> and Josh, Josh is on that yeah. podcast. Well, <laughs> and you're important. Well, <laughs> They just but, heard me do this review. You might don't want to turn them off to the podcast. Wolfman Josh edited a considerable amount of fighting between a few of us. <laughs> <laughs> but you can still hear a little bit if you listen to the episode. Nice. That's... Some of my finer moments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and also go- Google Gary the Unicorn, and maybe you can read some of my stupid articles that I write for newspaper. Oh, and go to uh, tpublic.com slash... The sci-fi, the podcast. sci-fi podcast and buy some shirts from our little sponsored site. Yeah. Heck yeah. And those shirts are cool. I checked them out. So it's very yeah, cool. So there's there's Facebook too. If you want to connect on Facebook, there's a sci-fi podcast page. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's right. Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll have to go befriend it or follow it or something. There you go. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. We'll bring you guys back. I don't know if the listeners could tell we were, we were on a time schedule tonight, and it's all my fault, so I'm sorry about the rush. But um, we're grateful that you were here. Thanks so much for having us. Yep, anytime. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Okay, I'm inserting a little post-production note here to provide some context from your producer, editor, and host, Jay of the Dead. As you know, we often have to sew these episodes together from portions of various recordings that took place out of sequence and at different times. Some of our episodes have more seams than Frankenstein's monster, and this is one such show. Anyway, the next two segments that you're about to hear were questions that we wanted to discuss with our co-host, Dr. Walking Dead, Kyle Bishop when he was available, and we only had him for a short period of time. Now, these are brief, but it's still fun to hear a little bit from Kyle about Scream 2. And here are those two clips now. I just wanted to ask you really quick about Scream 2, Kyle. Uh, Being yourself a university professor, you spend a lot of time on a campus. What does that do for you? Does that do anything extra for you? I personally, I worked at a ski resort for many years, and so I see a film set at a ski resort, and I have an instant interest in it and love for it and I'm nitpicky. I want to see all the things they do right and wrong. And uh, are, are you extra interested in scream too, because it takes place at a university? Because I'm not takes- extra interested in it because I think a lot of films take place on a college campus. Yeah. Strangely enough, I'm more in- interested in horror films that take place in high schools because I think <laughs> high schools are more microcosmic and they're more cliches to play around with, and there's more uh, clicks to make fun of. Uh, whereas college, especially college today, is not really 
Well, let me restate this. I think a lot of times when people portray a stereotypical high school on TV or cinema, it's actually pretty close to what high school is like. <laughs> Whereas when people try to stereotypically portray college, that's not really what college is like. And just to use Buffy as an example, the seasons where Buffy's in high school, I find the portrayal of high school far more convincing than the one season where they're portraying her at college. Because in films and television, colleges always have these stadium-seated rooms, which don't <laughs> always happen. And the professors always uh, kind of knows everybody, which isn't really realistic. And, and you get these kind of idealized college classes you know, where people are sitting on the desks and they're talking, <laughs> they're, they're just brainstorming ideas and there's no curriculum and there's no structure and the teachers are either really cool or they're really awful. So to me, I think, because we talked about this in this in the review of the first Scream film, I think that that to me resonates as an accurate portrayal of high school. Scream 2, to me, does not feel like an accurate representation of college. Interesting. So there you go. Well, by the way, for Kyle's classes, they do have a stadium seating because that's how they have to accommodate the. Yeah, I wish. I have a class this fall with 13 students. (laughs) (laughs) No, I scare them away, Jay, because I teach books and movies that have potty language. (laughs) So they're, they're afraid of me. This is why I don't like movies about college and I don't like pop songs about love because pop songs about love is what ruined my dating career. And movies about college is what disillusions me as a college professor because every semester I think it's going to be like Dead Poets Society and it never is. I would stand on my desk and say to you, oh, captain, my captain, Kyle. I'm standing on my desk right now. Well, you guys need to come down and, and sneak into my class and pretend to be a student. Okay. I would love to do that. Josh, that would be hilarious. We should do that and do the old captain, my captain thing. For him. Can you give us honorary degrees to SUU? Uh, I, wish, I wish I could. But if, if anyone ever stood on their desk and said, oh, captain, my captain, I would be so mortified. I would just die. I don't know. But yeah, so that that's the answer to your question. I am not particularly drawn to Scream 2 because it takes place on a college campus. All right. Well, real quick, before we let you go, Kyle, because I know you got to get running and everything, we actually got our first horror movie answer men question from Ashley. And he wrote to us and he sent us a doozy of a question, actually. <laughs> it's pretty good. And he said, this is in Scream 2, he said, I'm intrigued by the Roger Ebert experiment slash tribute where fans write in questions and you research and try to find an answer. I have one. The scene in Scream 2 where Dewey and Gale are being attacked by Ghostface. There's a scene where the camera purposely shows Dewey step on a pizza box. Later, as Dewey is being brought out on a stretcher, he is missing a shoe. The same one that stepped on the pizza box. What was that about? (laughs) Continuity error. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to research this. I looked and looked and looked and I went through, I was reading fan fiction and like, (laughs) like weird, like online forums from the first days of the internet. I didn't go in the way back machine yet, but I'm thinking I might have to go there to get an answer. I don't know if you guys found anything. I did find one video that may explain it all on YouTube. And so I want to give you a link to this, Jay, and we'll get it in the show notes. Okay. Um, The title of the video is, What is Dewey's Pizza? 
all about. And so I think this is going to be a fun reveal for the audience. But I won't give anything away with that. But did you guys find anything else out about this? Not me. Well, no, I haven't either. But what I've concluded is I think this is going to be one of those questions where the filmmakers would have to be asked directly because... Honestly, I mean, that's what Ebert ended up doing and with his connections in the industry. He would ask industry people, and that's how he got a lot of his answers. And I think this is probably going to be one of those situations. It's a David Arquette question. I think I even looked to see if David Arquette was on Twitter and so to see if I could ask him. Oh, yeah. Um, but there were, in a few of these online forums, people referenced it quite a bit. There were like screen grabs of it happening. Um, you know, Arquette looking down. It's when he gets stabbed in the sound booth that we talked about earlier. He's looking down at it, right? When Ghostface comes up behind him because he's just stepped in the pizza. And people had said online, like there were people referencing, like, I know there was a story about this or a conspiracy about this, but I can't remember what it is. And I was like, oh, come on. Like, in fact, this one right here says, um, meanwhile, I remember hearing the story behind the pizza on the shoe, but I can't remember it. I'm like, Why? <laughs> well, I said maybe it wasn't the commentary, so I went and listened to the commentary. Nothing. So we, I tried. I tried, Ashley. But, yeah. Uh, well, he's Ashley has uh, stumped us on our first question, so I guess we are not very effective horror movie answer men as of yet. Well, well <laughs> so. check out the video. Check out this video. This might answer your questions, Ashley. It'll be at horrormoviepodcast.com in the show notes for episode sixty-six. What is Dewey's Pizza all about? <laughs> All right, and at this point in episode 66 of Horror Movie Podcast, joined here once again with Dr. Shock, Wolfman Josh, and me, and we're going to review Scream 3. Well, if you're watching this tape, it means, as I feared, I did not survive these killings here at Windsor College, and that giving up my virginity to Karen Kolchak at the video store was probably not a good idea. Karen Kolchak? Yes, Karen Kolchak. Creepy Karen? Shut up! The reason I am here is to help you so that my death will not be in vain. That my life's work will help save some other poor soul from getting mutilated. If this killer does come back and he's for real, there are a few things that you gotta remember. Is this simply another sequel? Well, if it is, same rules apply. But here's the critical thing. If you find yourself dealing with an unexpected backstory and a preponderance of exposition, then the sequel rules do not apply because you are not dealing with a sequel. You are dealing with the concluding chapter of a trilogy. trilogy. That's right. It's a rarity in the horror field, but it does exist. And it is a force to be reckoned with because true trilogies are all about going back to the beginning and discovering something that wasn't true from the get-go. Godfather, Jedi, all revealed something that we thought was true that wasn't true. So if it is a trilogy you are dealing with, here are some super trilogy rules. One, you got a killer who's going to be superhuman. Stabbing him won't work. Shooting him won't work. Basically, in the third one, you got to cryogenically freeze his head, decapitate him, or blow him up. Number two, anyone, including the main character, can die. This means you, Sid. I'm sorry. It's the final chapter. It could be f***ing Reservoir Dogs by the time this thing is through. Number three, the past will come back to bite you in the ass. Whatever you think you know about the past, forget it. The past is not at rest. Any sins you think were committed in the past are about to break out and destroy you. So in closing, let me say good luck, Godspeed, and for some of you, I'll see you soon. Because the rules say some of you ain't gonna make it. I didn't. Not if you're watching this tape. Okay, Scream 3 is a 2000 slasher film. 
Uh, it's directed by Wes Craven and written by Aaron Kruger. Now, um, we may have discussed this in part one of our Scream coverage, but I believe um, when Kevin Williamson wrote Scream, part of his initial um, delivery was the script pages for the first film and then these outlines for what Scream 2 and 3 would be. And by the time they got around to Scream 3, Williamson's schedule was completely full. He was directing his first film uh, with Teaching Mrs. Tingle. You know, he had written I Know You Did Last Summer and The Faculty, and he just didn't have time to do Scream 3. He also, of course, had his TV show going, Dawson's Creek. And so the guy was just slammed. And so they brought in Aaron Kruger to write. And I remember this news because I was following it very closely. I was very excited about Scream 3 um, being a big fan. And, and this was supposed to be a return to form for the Scream series. That was the news on the street, that this would return the series to its previous glory. And in fact, in some cases, eclipse it. And so I, I was waiting for this with bated breath. And the inclusion of Aaron Kruger was a bit of scary to me because I didn't know the guy's work, but he was something of a wonderkind at the time. He had written Arlington Road, which is a great thriller, and the Weinsteins were lauding him as like the next big thing in screenwriting. And so I was very, very excited. And then people started getting word about Reindeer Games, which he wrote. And <laughs> as the Reindeer Games huh. reviews started rolling in, I started getting really worried about Scream 3. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a shame too because he was the screenwriter for The Ring as well. So, well, that's the thing. He went yeah. on to do some great stuff, and um, except you know, Blood and Chocolate, <laughs> not that. Well, yeah, look, he also wrote Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen and Dark of the Moon. He's credited oh. with those films as well. So, look, he's he's hit or miss this guy, but his adaptation of The Ring, yes, is is quite good. And I would say cool. Scream Three is at least interesting. Uh, I, you know, I mentioned this a bit in our part two review, but for me, part three is where it really starts getting into self parody to the point where I'm not quite sure what I'm watching yet. Now there are some scenes in this movie that are among my favorite scenes in the franchise. There's some awesome moments. And I, overall, I love the setting, which is, uh, years after the events of, Scream 1 and 2, we find ourselves um, in Hollywood, where Stab 3 is about yes. to go into production, or is currently in production, mm -hmm. even. And um, as the film is preparing to go into production, we start having you know, the return of a real-life copycat, again, kind of like in, in uh, Scream 2. And you know, we get the updates of what happened in Stab 2, and that's kind of funny. But again, that's the way I felt about it in Scream 2. It's kind of like, it's funny, but I could just as well do without it as well. Um, now, wait, are you referring to all the self-referential meta stuff? Like, you you don't like how it's it references its own sequels through those? Uh, is that what you're saying? Yeah, it just gets a little bit much for me. And it starts out, mm -hmm. again, with, like the first scene is this amazing scene with Cotton Weary, Liv Schreiber again. And uh, he's in his car, and he gets the phone call from the ghost face voice. And at home, while he's on the phone, his girlfriend, played by Kelly Rutherford, um, is at home alone with the ghost face killer. And the tension in this scene is excellent. 
but it's undercut by this goofy 100% cotton television show with Cotton Weary. And just all that stuff bugs me. It's just too hyper real for me. And I, it becomes self-parody. It feels, again, just more in the line with a scary movie type of movie than it does the Scream movies. And it, that's, that makes me sad because I think the real scares and the true drama that is at work in these films is superb. Um, and for me, this film's just a balancing act. Sometimes it's excellent. Sometimes it's terrible. And it kind of you know goes back, surges back and forth for me from one to the other. What about you, Dr. Shock? How do you feel about Scream 3? You know, it's it's actually of the four movies, it's it's interesting. It's it's uh, and it's going to sound a little harsh. I'm going to say it's my least favorite of the four, but that doesn't mean that there aren't things about it that I don't it doesn't mean that I I dismiss it entirely. There are some things about it that I do uh, I do like. And I do also uh, I agree with Josh in the opening. I thought the opening was was really strong at the the, the scene with uh with Lee Schreiber, um, I thought that was an excellent scene, uh, and I thought, you know, as as uh, there are some scenes later on. I guess we're getting into spoilers, right? Yeah, this whole franchise. Spoiling, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there are some scenes later on um, that I enjoy. You know, I I kind of thought it was interesting bringing the mother in and and giving her another uh, another facet of her personality. Uh, you know, because she's always been she's been a, a, a character in, in, in at least, you know, definitely in the first one, uh, you know, a very strong character, even though she's never on screen. She's a uh, cipher. And I'd like. Yeah. And, and it continues in, in the third one it, it, even stronger, uh, where there's this whole sort of central mystery around her. And, uh, and even in the big reveal at the end, um, you know, is back and then, then throwing a twist into what happened the first time around, even. Um, you know, throwing a different light on on what happened um, with with the two killers in the first movie and and how they came about the information that they did. Uh, I like that. I, I wasn't too keen on the um, on Parker Posey, and it might have been more her performance. It definitely seemed uh, like earnestly comedic. I guess is 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 how it struck me. Yeah. Um, you know, just a I little prefer- bit too much. I prefer the real comedic because I feel at least she's committed to her character. There's so many goofy moments in this movie. Like, look, I am probably as big a Kevin Smith fan as he can be without being a fanatic, but I do mm-hmm. not want to see Jay and Silent Bob in a Scream movie. It makes right. me nauseous to right. even think about it. Right. That, that's, yeah. that is a low point. I agree. Yeah. It's yeah. terrible. And there are a few moments like that where it goes into the, like, the Carrie Fisher scene. Could have yeah, done without That's it. another one. That I almost got Princess Leia. Yeah, that that <laughs> that, that that one didn't work either. Um, but as you mentioned with Parker Posey, and I, and I probably should have mentioned because we're on the set of Stab Three, we have all these dualities of the actors who are playing Dewey and Gale and Sydney, and then the real Dewey and Gale and Sydney. And Sydney's kind of been in hiding since the events of Scream Two, and these murders are forcing her to come out of hiding. Uh, to kind of help with the investigation. And we've got Patrick Dempsey as this handsome McDreamy detective <laughs> on the scene. You said uh, McDreamy. I love it that you said you that. <laughs> Scott Foley as Roman Bridger, the director of the film. We've got Josh Pace as this detective, which 
I really love. You've got Emily Mortimer, who is playing Sydney in the movie in Stab 3. You've got right. Park Posey, who's playing Gail Weathers. And I, the thing I like about her is how into the Gail Weathers character she is. <laughs> yeah. I think that is hilarious to me, that she just goes for it. And, um, yeah, there are, just, there are some interesting little moments, like with Heather Mat- Suarezo, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. The girl from Welcome to the Dollhouse, where she plays Martha Meeks, Randy's sister. That's another scene that's like, it's weird. I don't need yeah. this in here. I like seeing Randy again, but I don't oh, well, like it, it the way goes, this is functioning in the movie. It goes back to the the fatal mistake they made in number two, I think. Yes, exactly. uh, you know. So they 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 read. I think they realized, hey, we're we kind of miss this guy. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, there was, yeah. it was a nod to the other movies. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was just, a, it was a little, a little, un, uh, not uneasy, but it just, it didn't sit quite right. I agree with you. It didn't quite you know, right. that, that whole, that it did not, not like they were intending that, that scene. Uh, it did not. I, now I will say that I liked, uh, that, that sequence set in the, on the, on the set of the film in the house, you know, mm-hmm. that, that was built to resemble Sydney's old house. And when she Very first fun. saw that and yeah, yeah and that was, that was a really good scene. Yeah. And um, I love how you're just on a movie set, but, it, and then all of a sudden the lighting and everything plays into it. And now we feel like we're actually back at Stu Mocker's house. Mm-hmm. That, that's so well done. And, and then this, you know, the Sydney, the thing with Sydney's door at her house and how that kind of works. That's cool. Right. Um, and, and I actually really love the scene, you know, Patrick Warburton, uh, plays Parker Posey's uh, head of security, yes. bo- bodyguard. Yes, he, he's pretty funny in it. Um, mm-hmm. It's just this thing. I just feel torn because I like it. It's funny, but I don't necessarily want this much comedy in the film because I want the storyline to be taken seriously. And I think the film is saying some very powerful things about Hollywood. You know, we go back to our Hollywood horror episode that we did a few back. Mm-hmm. I, I, this is a great selection for Hollywood horror. This really handles the culture of Hollywood in a very interesting way and talks about some of that, um, you know, the terrible things that can befall people who enter the film industry and, you know, the the difficult times that a young actress can have. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, you got these, that's, it's, it's basically these, these predators who realize that these young girls are coming to Hollywood? They want to strike it big, and 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 they're they're offering them a way to do it that they would not have otherwise chosen. Mm-hmm. You know, and or and it really is. A, I'm sure that's been going on for in Hollywood since. Well, since it's founding. Well, you had you know? to do some of that to get your blog, didn't you, Doc? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like the Lance you know, Hendrickson you know, stuff is so good, I think. Uh, I mean, yes. love his cameo. But the Je- Jenny McCarthy, to me, like that goes into the land of we're in a scary movie movie. That's right. in parody land. And I just don't respond to that stuff at all. Yeah, I, I get you. I, and I appreciate and I, I agree with most of what you're saying. I want to go back to the dual actors thing again, or at least the dual characters. What I think is neat about this is obviously, yes, you have, um, you know, a character who is playing one of the quote unquote real actors, real characters from the originals. Right. But what's neat about that is, in essence, you have actors inhabiting the same character 
two different times in the same film. And I guess that's probably a really rare thing in the cinema. Yeah. If you think about uh-huh. it. I mean, that that's going to be something that doesn't happen much at all. So I think this movie's like really interesting that way. That's kind of cool. But yeah. And, and again, like it's a great, it's such an interesting film to look out for that Hollywood horror idea. You have Emily Mortimer's character or Parker Posey's character trying to get into the minds of these women they're playing and the women they're playing have been through hell and back and they're real people. And it's just so fascinating to kind of think about, yeah, like you see that a lot in real life. An actor will, they're going to be in a cop movie. So they go right along with police or they're going to play someone who had something terrible happen to them and they want to meet them and interview them about their terrible experience. And it's kind of fun to see that played out in movie form. Yeah, I agree now. So I, I got a question for you on this and, and I've kind of been holding it back until this movie, because this movie is where I start getting a little bit disappointed. Like these movies are fun. There's no doubt about it. I, even I can admit that as a guy who doesn't love horror comedy, I still really enjoy this franchise. And I'll say I I enjoy the whole franchise, which we'll talk about later. But I want to know, though, even if it is fun along the way, if the ending, the reveal, when the mask comes off, like the first time you see it, when you find out who the killer or killers are, are you, if if you're not like kind of dazzled by that or surprised, if that's not a good revelation for you, do you feel like it undercuts the whole film? It can, it can. And it really depends. You know, I think this film does it better than scream two did for me. And I, even though it's, it is a bit of a stretch, the (laughs) atmosphere, I think in this film is so well done at the end. I I really, really liked the atmosphere of the ending. Hmm. I got you. What do you say, Dave? Yeah. Now this, um, yeah, I like I like Josh saying it can happen. I mean, for me, it didn't happen. Are you say Are you suggesting that it, it did happen for you in this film? Yeah, this one. I mean, I I agree, and we talked about it already. But the 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 ending revelation of um, Scream Two, that's a little bit clunky, but it still kind of makes sense. It's like I could put it together. But then when you're like pulling characters out of left field and saying. Oh, there was this character all along, and you, you know what I mean. You, well, look, yeah. as a fan of Halloween, the Halloween franchise. <laughs> yeah, that's this, not, but absolutely nothing. And not only that, we we were warned of that in Randy's videotape. <laughs> he he did say nice. that all bets are off, and 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 history will be changed. If you know that that something is a big reveal is going to happen. I don't remember exactly how he put it in the video. But that a big reveal and, and and everything you thought you knew about history is going to change. True. Um, well, so that we were good. we were set up for that. That was a good quote. Yes. Well done, Dave. That was good. But I I just think that I mean films can either play by the rules or they can cheat. And and I think that that it's a little bit of a cheat. And and yes, it is a common. Thing that happens in it, it's pretty much cinema, yeah i mean I, I, I mean you know you, you can't it, it really is i mean as much as we love the the friday the 13th i mean how many times did they how many times ways did they figure out to bring jason back to life mm-hmm. you but, know after after killing him and and so you, you, movies do tend to cheat only because that's what 
that's what the audience wants. I'm not su- suggesting well, it's definitely the case in this point with Scream Three. Yeah, but you know, if you if you look at it, you look at like the the main franchises. People were not happy after Friday the Thirteenth Part Five because <laughs> it wasn't Jason. Well, yeah, and I agree with that. I just feel like it's within the parameters of the universe of Friday the Thirteenth. We know that Jason's supernatural, but in a film like this, you can tell when something is very clunky and kind of strained because there's a lot of exposition that has to be built up to no, support it's, it's it. It's that when, whole Scooby Doo sort of. Yeah, thing. when he's you know? revealed yeah. and his mask comes off, it's like, okay, I'm going to spend the next ten minutes telling you why I have this vendetta, and I'm oh. going to tell you why and explain it to the audience, and it's like. Okay. Like. Well, and, and that would work. It, it would work if there weren't scenes of him trying to kill her instantly. Mm, yeah. You know, earlier on, the scene set on the set of the film, he tried to kill her right then and there without revealing. Nice, you know, without without going into the detail of, hey, this is why. So you can't even think it was his grand scheme to reveal himself prior to um, yeah, to, to finishing her off. You can't even really justify that because earlier in the film he tried to to kill her outright, but that's happened through through all the movies. Yeah, if you think about it, even in the first one they tried to finish Sydney off pretty early, um, and then at the end you had the big reveal before they you know before they were going to do the deed so to speak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, let's just go ahead and say it. I think the idea of Marine Prescott. And, you know, the Lance Hendrickson character, all of that to me, I love. I think that's awesome backstory. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. Bringing in Roman's character is the clunky part. And to me, it just goes back right. to that hit or miss. Like, to me, the Marine Prescott backstory is a hit. Roman's is a bit of a miss. Yeah. But the, mm-hmm. that that final segment, you know, I, something I loved about the first scream is how they end up at Stu's house and they're just there for the end of the movie. Right. I love that that happens here too. They just end up at that Hollywood producer's mansion and then they're just there. And right. I think everything that unravels there is a blast for me. I think it's, the scenes are scary. I think they're fun. It has kind of a haunted house, fun house vibe to it. Right. To me, that's all a blast. Emily Mortimer's death is insane. <laughs> You've got the basement scares that are really funny. Remind me of Friday the 13th part four, is it? A little bit. Um, I think that stuff is pretty fun. And I love the hidden room and all of that stuff. And uh, there was, I remember seeing this in the movie theater this is one of the first movies I saw when I got back to the United States after living in Europe. I watched Scream 3 and The Sixth Sense back-to-back in the theaters, and Ooh. I was so happy that day. Oh, <laughs> that yeah. One of my favorite <laughs> double features ever. That's and awesome. I, you know, I was really invested in these characters. Scream was my franchise at that time, and I was so in love with these characters by this point in the story. And there's this amazing moment of sound design. I don't know if you remember if you guys remember this, but um, Sydney's locked in that back room, and Roman may be killing her. We don't know. And Dewey and Gail are locked outside the sliding bookcase. Mm-hmm, totally. And they can hear her inside. And the sound design in that scene is some of the most phenomenal sound design I've ever heard. Nice. And you can hear them and her, and then on the other side, you can hear them yelling, Sydney, Sydney, and you can hear it kind of, it's going around. Wait, look, there's another door. I'm going around. And you hear like the footsteps, and it's so good. And I was like close to shedding tears. I'm not even joking. Like, I was just oh. like, wow, like Sydney's dead. This is over. And, and I, and I think part of that is just the humanity again that I think 
David Arquette instills in Dewey. Uh, Gale, you know, is, becomes a character that I love to hate and eventually, you know, lo- hate to love. And <laughs> I just start caring about these guys. And it's mm-hmm. like, it felt like the end of an era. Yeah. And I was a little misty, you know? And I don't uh, know. I, I just really like the whole end portion of this movie. Patrick Dempsey also, his stuff is great. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's always good. So backing up kind of earlier, and this is a much less significant topic, so I apologize to everybody ahead of time, but there's this moment, and this is kind of dumb to talk about, but when when she, when Gail Weathers is talking to the actress who is playing her character, you know, Jennifer, right? Um, like... There's almost a blow. Like I'm like, okay, I had to look up in the timeline, okay, because she's obviously friends with Jennifer Aniston on Friends. You know, Courtney Cox right. says, and she says something about sorry it didn't work out with Brad Pitt, and huh. that that woman she kind of looks a little bit like Jennifer Aniston, and I'm like, wow, that would have been really harsh, like if if they had split by then, but this was a prior them splitting i guess from my research but uh but now looking back at it it seems like it's a really raw line to throw in there (laughs) 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 but anyway that kind of stood out to me it's the little thing no i agree and i and i gotta admit even i did like that little exchange between the two of them Mm -hmm. um that that was what just a minute or two uh when when they first met i kind of liked the the cattiness of that i don't know it just made me laugh yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, the same thing happens when Gail runs into the guy who's playing Dewey. He kind of mocks her a little bit like, Oh yeah, that piece you did last year about me wrecking my car. That was some great journalism, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. That's, that's an awesome moment, I think. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, so it sounds like Josh, from your story with the sixth sense thing that, that you were pretty pleased when you first saw this, but you seem less pleased with it now. I'm just, you know, again, I, I love it and I hate it all at once. It, it's, I love it more than I hate it. It's just there. It, it's one of those things where you think this is almost perfect, but there are enough things ruining it for me that I can't feel like this is a classic. I can't feel like this worked out well, you know, and that, that's a frustrating feeling as a fan. They're like, this was almost excellent, you know, but it, it falls just short of, of that. And so, and it kind of falls a long way because it does. Well, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I do have to commend you on something. I think it's admirable that you're holding a, a horror sequel, you know, kind of up to the fire, you know, like, I mean, making it accountable, so to speak, because, I think a lot of times we do get dismissive, but I mean, in the grand scheme of things, and that's kind of what I'm doing right now is what I was complimenting. I'm doing the opposite of what I was complimenting you on just now. I mean, horror sequels, for the most part, are usually pretty terrible. And I think that with these films, I mean, I know we're going to talk about this more, but I mean, this film still isn't a bad installment, right? No, right, no. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I feel like this franchise, I hold to a higher standard than I do the 80s sequels. That was the way things were done at that time. And that's just not the way this franchise is handled. This was the one that understood the pitfalls 
commented on those pitfalls, broke the rules and did everything the right way and, 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 you know, in a unique and original and vibrant way. And so it's disappointing to see them fall into some of the same traps that every other horror franchise eventually does. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, do you place that on Aaron Kruger a little bit? No, not at all. Not at all. I think he did a fine job, you know, and I think it, like I said, I think it starts with scream too, but I guess I had this hope that, you know, it was kind of like over on Movie Podcast Weekly, we reviewed the Mission Impossible franchise. <laughs> yeah. We talked about how bad Mission Impossible 2 was, but for me, Mission Impossible 3 was good enough. It kind of pulled the franchise out of the muck and mire. And I guess I was kind of hoping for that with Scream 3 too. I was, I was thinking if Scream 3 is good enough, then this whole franchise is solid. And not that Scream 2 is a lot worse than Scream 3. It's not. But I guess I had a lot of hope that Scream 3 was going to uh, reach new heights. Mm. And I'm not sure it did. I gotcha. Yeah, it might have been some of that marketing hype, it sounds like. Because oh. it sounds like they, you know, I don't remember the marketing for this, to be honest. I don't know what I was doing in my life, but I don't remember all that that you said. That was kind of news to me. So, Well, I was following it very closely, and it was, you know, in the early days of the internet, there weren't, there wasn't a lot of that information out there. So right. whatever I was reading was like an Empire magazine or something, or Total, <laughs> Total Film magazine at the time. So, yeah, I don't know. I got you. Okay. Well, anything else you guys want to talk about on this one before we wrap up with our ratings and recommendations? No. I mean, I think there are great some great scenes in this too. We've talked about some of those landmark scenes in each of these films. Uh, you know, we've we've hurried through a few of them, so I do feel bad about that. I wish we could have given each of them their due. But one of those for me, I just like the way the stuff in the police station plays out. I think that's so much fun when you're kind of wondering about Patrick Dempsey's character and Nev gets that first call or Sydney gets that first call in the police station. I mm. like that scene quite yeah. a bit. Oh yeah, totally. And I also like the last scene in the movie. I like that she's able to kind of leave that gate open. It's super cheesy, but again, like I'm very invested in the reality of this franchise. And so it's kind of like, huh. yeah. <laughs> All right, leave that gate open. There's even an, an interesting moment between um, uh, Sydney and Roman where, you, you know, she's uh, uh, finishing, you know, she's finishing the job, but yet there's still that sort of hand class realizing that they do have this, this, uh, this common bond. Yeah. You know? That understanding that our mother being a whore has affected right. us both profoundly. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's I, I was. Uh, that's kind of a weird. You're like, okay, what is that vibe I'm picking up? Because yeah, I pick that up too, Dave. When I see that, and I'm like, yep, that's kind of bizarre. I, again, I think Emily Mortimer's death is super creepy. Like it's one yeah. of the scariest little moments in a yeah. Movie. The, it's the, and it's mostly it's, the 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 drag off too. That's what I it think is. That's that's what it yeah. is. You know, you just see boom, yeah. just get dragged off screen there and. Um, causes two other characters to scream their heads off. <laughs> I also like that Sydney is put in that position, like she is in every film with Patrick Dempsey. You know, in the entryway where she has to kind of <laughs> have that. What is the what is the uh, the word for that? It's it's not a Mexican standoff. It's not the prisoner's dilemma. I there's a word for it. I'm not sure what it is, but that moment where she kind of has to decide who, which of these guys can I trust. It's like right. a conundrum. Okay, or, it is a conundrum. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> or or a, a catch-22, because... Maybe so. Maybe, yeah. a little. 
But but, you know. I, but, I, but you know, Sydney's always finding herself in those moments. It's when Randy yeah. and Stu were coming up the steps in the first Scream film. One of the right. best scenes in the movie. Yes. And, you know, they're always trying to recreate that magic. They never quite get there, but I think the way Patrick Dempsey plays that in this scene is pretty great. Yeah, well. I yeah. totally agree. I'm with you. Okay. Well, I'll go first on this then. For me, Scream 3 is... I love the Hollywood setting. And and honestly, if I were to point out, other than the revelation at the end, the whole brother thing... That's a little disappointing to me. That's my biggest complaint. My second biggest complaint is I just wish they had done more with the Hollywood stuff. I don't know exactly what I wanted, so I can't even articulate it, to be honest. But I just remember expecting it to be better, I guess, and it just wasn't. And I that's terrible criticism, but, but that's where I am with it. Even so, for a horror sequel, still pretty decent. Not bad. More comedy than I like, but um, I appreciate it. It's a good slasher. I give Scream 3 a 7 out of 10, and I call it a strong rental. What do you say, Dr. Shock? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, again, I, as I said uh, at the beginning of this review, this is my least favorite of the four, even. Um, but, you know, sort of, a, I guess, a spoiler for next week. But I still really do enjoy it. This is, this is, a, this is a franchise that is always very entertaining for me. And I can watch Scream 3 again um, at any time and, and enjoy it. So I'm with you. I'm going to give it a 7. And I uh, say it's a – it's hard to say – it's hard to give movies within a franchise strong rentals and others buys. Uh, so yeah. I think this is a buy. I think uh, I think that this entire franchise is, is worth – putting in your collection because I think you can, you can return to it and you can, you can enjoy it. Uh, even with the, you know, the, the, the mystery gone, it's still, uh, they're all still, there's still plenty going on in every movie to make them a hell of a lot of fun. Okay. I gotcha. And what do you say? Wolfman? Yeah. I mean, for me again, like within the scream franchise, which I'm still holding to the pinnacle of the first film, this feels like a bit of a swing and a miss for me again, but as a horror film, as a general slasher, and especially as a slasher sequel, like you say, Jason, this is a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. One thing we didn't talk about is this film was also up against the Columbine incident. Yeah, right. Oh, right. Yeah. They had a lot of issues trying to keep the violence in this film. That's actually one of the main reasons they moved the film to Hollywood Yeah, was to remove it from that small town high school violence feel that had originally yeah, right. know, been in the first treatment. And, and uh, yeah, they, plan. they had to change the script altogether because of that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And also they were trying to, you know, the studio was trying to say, look, we're pulling all of the blood and gore out of this movie. And Wes Craven to his credit really stepped in and said, look, we, if we're making a scream movie, we're making a scream movie. If you want to take all that stuff out, don't call it scream. And you know, he's, lucky i guess that it passed you know by the the censors and by the studio and they got to make the film they were interested in making so yeah um for me i I, you know i still can't help but give this an eight and i'm gonna say it's a buy it i own it and i own it on dvd i will own it on blu-ray eventually i'm sure and uh yeah okay thank you the listeners let us know what you think of scream 3 in the show notes for this episode (laughs) 
Okay, so right before we wrap up episode 66, I want to make an announcement here to people for October. Let you know what we've got planned here. Thanks to you, the listeners. We have basically submitted to your will. (laughs) We know that you want us to review the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And that's what we're going to be doing in October. We're going to do it hardcore, the entire thing, like seriously long episodes, several episodes cover the entire, all that Freddy smut, just like we did for Halloween and just like we did for Friday the 13th. Oh, You asked for it. (laughs) It's your fault. But we're going to do it because you guys want it. We got lots of Freddy fans out there. And, you know, we got to respect that. Right, Josh? Yeah, unfortunately, we do have to respect that. So, um, (laughs) no, in all honesty, you know, I remember liking three and four. I'm looking forward to revisiting the first film. And and I'm not looking forward to revisiting any of the other ones. But we're going to do it anyway. Um, And we've got some guests coming on that that we know love Freddy more than us because we are not all the biggest Freddy fans, but there are a lot of you out there. We we recognize that. And we're trying to get Shani Dreadful on the show, trying to get Ron Martin on the show, Willis Wheeler, some big-time Freddy fans to come and represent Freddy Krueger for you. That's right. And we also want you to know that um, it happens to coincide with, but it has nothing to do with the recent passing of Wes Craven. It just so happens that we're covering Scream right now and that we're, you know, that you guys asked for this starting back in April, whenever we finished. weird timing that that happened. I mean, it's right. (laughs) It is very strange. It is weird. But honestly, they've been asking for these Nightmare on Elm Street, this franchise review of that since like as soon as we finished Friday the 13th. Yeah, they started sending in requests, so that we want to yeah. make you guys happy. I wonder what they'll ask for after that, you guys. You think it'll be Hellraiser, Leprechaun? <laughs> they better not troll. <laughs> oh my goodness, it can only get worse, right? I mean, like it's, it's gonna no, get no, scary. It's, yeah. Do we yeah. cap these at some point, or yeah. what's the? Well, I mean. No. Hellraiser, but we might want to stop at one and two. You know, I I don't know if there's a I don't know if there's a call for these, but I would love to revisit all the Psycho films. I think that's an interesting oh, franchise yes. that doesn't yes. get talked about. Very yes, often. I think I think that's a great idea. Do you know what would that's be a great idea? You know what we should do that in like December when it's cold. Yeah, and now should, chilly. Right. Yeah. Bates Motel. Do we have to coincide that with the? Oh, that's a good idea. Maybe do something with the Bates Motel television series and and cover all the psycho films like we're doing here with Scream. That would be a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. If you guys want to hear that, let us know. And there's something else you want to hear that's not Hellraiser. Let us know about that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean Hellraiser is a great film. I'm Hellraiser. I do not want to do those movies. Oh, you know who's a huge Matroid? Our friend from the Sci-Fi Podcast is a huge fan of the Phantasm movies. He could knock those out of the park if we had him on for those. Oh yeah, we got to get those done. There's a lot of. There's a lot of. Would we want to do the Exorcist franchise? Oh boy. That is That's some heavy lifting right there. That is. I, I, I know. I know Dave wants to do uh, Puppet Master, all those, all like 12 <laughs> of those or whatever. <laughs> You know what you know I would what? love to do? Uh, no. From Dust Till Dawn would be fun. Oh, yeah, now you're talking. That would be a fun one, too. And, Jay, yeah. you've talked about doing Tremors for a long time now. Yep, we need to do Tremors. And, Josh, yeah. I'm still not sufficiently satisfied with your level of appreciation for The Descent and The Descent Part 2. That sounds like a versus episode to me. What, me versus you? 
Because I'm going to be all up in your mix on that. That's Oh, my goodness. Those films are amazing. I just, I really want to. I, I bought the DVD. I, it's on my, like, when I say I put it in my queue, I'm not joking. Dog Soldiers and Descent are sitting here on my counter ready to be rewatched. That should be our Thanksgiving or our Black Friday special this year or something. <laughs> okay. There I'm, we go. I'm just saying because Black yeah, Friday and it's really dark down in the caves. I don't know. We already did all the commerce related stuff. <laughs> One other thing for um, October 2015, just so you guys know we got good stuff coming up. We're also going to be doing some form of a 30 one days of Halloween reviewing type, right? We're going to yes. do something like yep. that, or like um, blog related. I'm uh, doing, uh, once again, over at DVD Infatuation, I'm going to be doing 31 Days of Horror like I did last year. I'm not limiting myself to a specific time period like I did last year. Everything was uh, post-2000. This year, it's just sort of the full gamut, whatever I, you know, and I do have the 31 movies picked out already. I'm not going to go too deep into it uh, as, to, as to what the choices are, but I will say that I made a few changes with the recent passing of Wes Craven to the schedule and uh, put a few more of his movies on there. And I am finally going to get a chance to look at one of the Bollywood horror films oh, that cool. I have, which I'm, I'm looking forward to checking one of those out as well. Problem is, the Bollywood horror films are every bit as long as the regular Bollywood films. So we're looking at a two and a half hour monster movie here. Does it have um, singing and dancing in it too? We will find out. Ooh, I hope uh, so. Yeah. <laughs> so amidst our, you know, Friday the or sorry, a Nightmare on Elm Street franchise coverage, we'll also have this thirty-one days of Halloween thing going on here at horrormoviepodcast.com and we will at least have one blog entry because I know we have a lot of listeners who have been talking amongst themselves about wanting to compare and contrast their 31 days of horror lists. So we'll have a blog entry where people can do that. Hopefully, ideally, in our fantasy world, we'll actually do a post every day of the month of October where we can have something new, whether that's bringing something over from Dave's site and reblogging that here or whether Jay and I do a movie review. We'll... That would be cool. But you can, yeah, you can guarantee that at DVDinfatuation.com, Dave will put up something every single oh, day. You, definitely, That's yeah, like the it, sun coming up. I'll be putting up something every day, and I will repost some of those, or I'll send them over, Jay. You repost them on, you know, horrormoviepodcast.com. And um, the thing is, so I will be doing some of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, which we're not going to want to post over there, since we're going to be covering those on the podcast. And then I so guess, maybe Jay and I can know, fill up those gaps whenever yes. the, mm -hmm. the Nightmare movie comes out we'll do one of our 31 days of horror reviews there you go and again we'll have a blog some kind of blog post up where the listeners can talk about what movies they're watching we can all compare and contrast and have a great time during the best month of the year yeah and, and i don't Absolutely. know if listeners actually know this but i i am by day my day job is i am a blog writer Ooh. So there you go. don't piss me off right now. So this <laughs> is going to be good is what you're saying. No, I was just. By, by day, a mild-mannered blog writer. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I write dental blogs during the day, which is hilarious to me. But, but um, That sounds I, scary to me. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, yeah, I write <laughs> That's about. That's true horror. That's real life horror. <laughs> that, that is. So anyway, we're going to have a lot of fun here on Horror Movie Podcast. This, this October is going to be rocking, and I guarantee it. And, you know, get ready for some Freddy Krueger smut because it's coming. 
<laughs> right. You gotta you, you don't sound so excited, Jay. You gotta tone that down a bit. <laughs> okay. You're a little you're a little too jazzed to be uh to be covering these these movies here. And I gotta admit, I, I'm looking forward to to revisiting some of them, like 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 Josh, to revisiting some of them. Not looking forward to revisiting others. You get that in every franchise. Uh, it's just unfortunately with you know. Well, we'll get into it. We're not going to get into it right now. But but we um, promise you some hardcore Freddy yeah. fans will be on here to defend your own. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. and you know we'll call a spade a spade. So yeah, if, we're not prejudiced. I'm not going into this with prejudice, other than right, just, right. It, it's you know I'm. I'm dreading it, but I'm going to give it its fair shake and I'm going to go in trying to have a fun time. Yeah. That's what I want to do when I watch a movie is enjoy myself. Right. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll give it its proper respect and its proper due. I mean, we'll give it the horror movie podcast treatment. I mean, you, and you know what? It's, it has been so long since I've seen some of them that I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't honestly know what if my opinion will have changed on some of them. Uh, I did the second one on the blog recently and it didn't change at all on that one. <laughs> but for some of the other ones, you know, it, it, it would be it would be interesting to revisit them and, and see if uh, see if my opinion has changed at all. And even with all this Wes Craven talk, honestly, I'm getting in the mood to check them out. And uh, yep. in fact, I'm even in the mood to download that DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince oh, song. I'm going to listen to that. That song, we're going <laughs> to pepper that sucker throughout those because I freaking love that song. It, it is one of my all-time, Nightmare on My Street. That is one of my all-time favorites. I can rap about half of that right now. Do you want to go for it, Jay? Should we go? Brother, br- bring it on because I used to do it too, and, and I had the tape. I had the cassette tape. Me too, the single. Let's- I said, yo, Fred, I think you got me all wrong. I ain't partners with nobody with nails that long. <laughs> Yo, let's be honest, Fred. This team won't work. The girls, the girls won't, won't be, be on you, Fred. Fred. Your face is all burnt. Oh. But Fred got mad and his head started steaming. And I don't remember that next part. Well, that was I embarrassing. Like the, the souls of your friends, you and I will claim. You've got the body and I've got the brain. Nice. You know, there are people out there listening to this who probably have no idea what we're doing right now who have never heard that. They'll hear. They'll hear all about it. Yeah. You know, we'll we have a whole segment about DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. There you go. We ought to um, brush up on that, Josh, because we're a little rusty right now. But um, we ought to brush up on that. And, Dude, and I'm just... downloading that on iTunes tonight. Yeah. I, you know, I'm going to have to, too, because I, I remember it. I remember hearing it, but I don't remember too much about it. Uh, I could probably do. I could. I bet I could beat Mike Tyson before I. I could. Uh, <laughs> That's a good one too. I, I had that. that I had that single as well. Yeah. That single cassette. Or, I think I can beat Mike Tyson. Okay. What it was called. Okay, Josh. Here, here we go. Uh, I'm not. I'm not backing down from this. Now I have a story that I like to tell about this guy. You all know him. Had me scared as hell. He comes to me at night after I crawl into bed. He's burned up like a weenie, and his, and name, his name is, is Fred. Fred. He wears the same hat and sweater every single day. And even if it's hot outside, he wears, he wears it anyway. anyway. <laughs> He's gone when I'm awake, but he shows up when I'm asleep. I can't believe that there's a nightmare on, my, on street. my street. <laughs> you do that. You do that very well. That is brilliant. Man. I, don't even need to, I don't even need to download it now. I need to pull up those lyrics so we can really have a nice little rap battle. Here. <laughs> okay, we'll brush up on that. That'll be super cool. Well, I mean, I, maybe the listeners of this podcast don't know, but I'm for real a rapper. I've done rapping on movie podcasts weekly before. That is true. Yeah, so maybe, <laughs> so maybe Josh, maybe I'll need to do a Nightmare on Elm Street rap. Ooh, 
Are we sure about that? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> I mean, there's already a Nightmare on Elm Street rap. You can't get better than that. So, Are you going to do your own Nightmare on Elm Street? Like, you're going to write your own? Yeah, that's what I meant. But maybe I'll rap about something else. Here, here, okay, this is for the listeners. Guys, I know that when I said I was a rapper, everybody rolled their eyes. But okay, here's the challenge. Well, it's true. I will say I've never seen you and Eminem in the same room. Well, so. uh, well here's the thing. I, I can I can do Eminem. I'm not even afraid. I, I will the same room at the same time. Let, I mean, you know, let, so maybe I don't know what I don't know what you do when you're off time. Will, will the real Jay of the Dead please stand up? Now here's the thing. <laughs> I'll tell you this right now. I could rap in an I could write a rap in an Eminem style. You guys give me the topic, and on Halloween, well, our episode releases on October 30th. Is what it is. It's the day before okay. Halloween. The Leprechaun series. You want me to rap about that series? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. How about the horror of Mount Rushmore? Oh, there you go. Wait, what do you mean the horror of Mount Rushmore? The, the, Rush, the Mount the, Rushmore like the, of horror. Mount Rushmore of horror. We talked about Ron Martin. Oh, that wasn't on this episode. <laughs> um, well, we, that, but that would be that would be a good topic. So I mean, you want you want me to rap? Uh, okay, include all of the major horror staples your and figures your choices for the the major it's like scream yeah this yeah. is like your script yeah. of scream set yeah. to rap okay here's the thing i am gonna bust out a hardcore well not hardcore because i don't say bad words <laughs> but i am gonna bust out <laughs> a serious business horror rap and we will release it in the October 30th in honor of Halloween I will release it in that episode and if you guys don't think I can rap I'm gonna prove it oh, wow. there it is All right. the challenge has been made okay now is this is this rap slash comedy or comedy slash rap that's what we really have to figure out do you have a problem with comedy and rap <laughs> Well, I'm just wondering, is this a satire? Is this a spoof? Or is this an actual functioning as an actual rap? Well, (laughs) it's going to function as an actual rap, but it is funny to people when I rap. And so it'll probably, I mean, it'll have humor in it. I can't So you're self-aware enough to know that it's funny when you're rapping. Right. Yeah, but I am also. But but the rap parts will be rap. It'll just sort of be, there'll be other funny parts, but the rap will be straight up rap. Yeah. This is no, this isn't the scary movie of raps. This is more. No, this is more like, like the Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein. No, 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 no. It will. It'll be like the scream of raps, basically. So it'll be semi-serious, the lyrics. Lyrics will be the strongest part, I think, because that's usually my my strong suit. Well, in rap, that's kind of important, yeah. But well, <laughs> you don't always know that. You can't always tell, but but yes. So anyway, there you have Smoking it. Smoking MCs like a pound of bacon. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> brother. <laughs> uh, I'm getting so pumped up right now. I'm gonna start rapping. Um, oh, don't. No, I'm <laughs> freestyle live on horror movie podcast. Okay. Anyway, that's coming in October as well. So everybody be ready for that because it will be memorable. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah. All right. That just about wraps up episode 66 of Horror Movie Podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this show. And right now I want to kick it over to the Wolfman, Josh Legary, to let us know where he can be found on the internet. Listen to me on Horror Movie Podcast, the Sci-Fi Podcast, Movie Podcast Weekly, and predominantly MoviesStreamcast.com, where I'm reviewing new movies that are currently streaming online. You can follow me on Twitter at IcarusArts, and I would love to talk to you. Okay, and Dr. Shock? 
I'm going to mix things up a bit here. I'm going to I'm going to uh, I'm going to change my um, my plugs. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, you can see me at uh, <laughs> dvdinfatuation.com, uh, at dvdinfatuation on Twitter, Facebook page. You know, check the uh, show notes. Uh, and Land of the Creeps, uh, which is landofthecreeps.blogspot.com. It's the other uh, horror movie podcast that I co-host. Yes, that's right. And you can listen to me at moviepodcastweekly.com. You know, that's, that's all I get to say about that. So we love your comments. Join us um, here in the comment boards. You can leave comments on this episode or email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. And we also have a voicemail line, 801-382-8789. And by the way, Josh has a little special message for people who want to leave feedback about the Scream franchise. Yeah, I mean, if you guys remember our Friday the 13th franchise overview, I touched on a lot of the best comments um, from the message boards or the comment boards. And we're going to be doing the same thing here in our Scream franchise overview. We're going to be picking and choosing some great comments from the emails and voicemails and even from the comment boards to read during our franchise overview, your comments. And so if you have any, get them to us for Scream 2 and 3. But due to the timing of release, you are not going to hear our reviews for Scream 4 or the television series before we will need to record our franchise overview. So if you have comments that you would like us to address or questions you'd like us to answer about Scream 4 or the Scream television series, email those to Jason at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com or you can leave them in the show notes for episode 66 at horrormoviepodcast.com. Uh, just make sure you get to those to us right away because we were sooner than later going to be recording our Scream franchise overview. That's right. Thank you very much. Okay, and if you want to catch up with all of our episodes, you can find them at horrormoviepodcast.com. That also includes our, our archives for the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis, which we're very proud of. You can subscribe free in iTunes. You follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. And I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music. For our theme song, you can find Fred at FrederickIngram.com. And I think that's it for episode 66 here. We thank you for listening and join us again next Friday for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.